Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. The second half of these interviews are reserved for patrons only. If you like this show, visit my website, pryingpriest.com, for more content and to learn how you can become a patron of the show. Enjoy the first half of this interview. Braden Siemens, you're our first returning champion. Coming back for the sequel. Coming back. Well, speaking of sequels, we're talking about movies today. This is an, well, though I am an Orthodox priest, this is an unorthodox episode. Yes. Uh, I think most of your episodes are unorthodox, though. <clears throat> I think many of them are unorthodox. <laughs> we'll see. I haven't gotten in trouble yet. Um, so, actually, I get more in trouble with things I say in the Patreon episodes. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is why they're Patreon. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. T- I, I've always wanted to record an episode like this, which is an episode about movies that have influenced our spirituality. And and I know that you like movies. I, love I like movies. And I thought it would be an awesome episode just to chat with somebody about movies that have affected both theirs and my spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably be sharing a little bit more about myself than I normally do on a Prime Priest, Prime Priest episode. Nice. Uh, which I'm excited to do. We will uh, pry into the priest in this episode. Yeah, prying into the priest. <laughs> Uh, so this is the format of today's episode as far as I can, as uh, uh, we'll play with the format, but basically both of us have chosen three movies that have influenced, um, our spirituality or our perspectives on religion, faith, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we will basically go one by one. I'll, I'll talk about a movie. Then you talk about a movie. I'll talk about a movie and then we'll do all six, but we'll discuss the movies, um, as we go on the first three or so maybe the first three or four we'll do in the public and then the last um uh, two or three we'll do in the uh, private podcast great um yeah so brayden first of all let's start off with uh what three movies did you pick yeah so it was really hard for me to decide because i know one of yours is a trilogy Mm -hmm. uh so i thought oh that's a loophole like maybe i could do a trilogy (laughs) by the way before i tell you that have you noticed that there's been a total lack of trilogies? For a while there, there was so many. Like growing up when we grew up, there was mm-hmm. the Matrix, yeah. we had Lord of the Rings, yeah. the Dark Knight trilogy. We've had the Star Wars trilogies, but they're only making them in trilogies based on the the older model. of. Oh, yeah, and I guess trilogy. there's the Hobbit trilogy too. But that they only made it a trilogy to match the fact that Lord of the Rings was also yeah. a trilogy. They didn't want to really do it a trilogy. But there's something about like the three day thing. The three, you know, like the you know, not to make it too biblical, but there's something about yeah. like the three, mm-hmm. uh, the triune. <laughs> but but you also have that narrative pattern: the uh, the orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Yes. Right. Yes. Like if you take thing, I love it. Like if you take, uh, let's say, the, the original Star Wars trilogy, right? You have Star Wars A New Hope. And that's sort of that like naive good versus evil, you know, uh, perspective. Then you have The Empire Strikes Back, which is even in the name, it's the, it, it uh, symbolizes this um, 
the bottom of the pit, so to speak, yeah, right? Yeah, You've yeah. Jonah going down into the sea or yeah. Christ descending into the tomb. Yeah. But then you have uh, the return yeah. of the dead eye, right? And and it's a it's the a dark mature rises. the dark night rises. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 this mature the, the hero has now matured basically. Except for um, in the Spider Man trilogy, you only get this weird sort of emo dance <laughs> scene in that one. <laughs> that <laughs> that how did you know what trilogy I was gonna pick? <laughs> oh man yeah anyways uh yeah your three movies yeah so my three movies are um i guess i don't know which order i'll talk i'll just arbitrarily choose uh number one tree of life directed by terrence malick Mm. uh number two silence directed by martin scorsese and number three first reformed directed by paul schrader those are my three yeah I have I have thoughts about some of these movies. Mm, good, but but before we get into it, though, maybe I should share what my three movies are. Uh huh. Yeah. Just to you know, just to give a preview. So I tried the way I tried to pick movies wasn't necessarily kind of the movies that have always been at the top of my list, right? I tried to pick one that's been with me for a long time, um, uh, one that's sort of been with me kind of half the time, and and then a very new one, and and one that I'm actually still processing. Um, so I'm hoping, and and I will save that one for the Patreon because when I process, I'm going to be thinking out loud. And when you think out loud, you entertain stupid ideas sometimes. <laughs> um, so I, I, the the Patreon half will give me the freedom to say stupid things and to work through some of these ideas with you. So, okay. uh, so the, the the first movie I picked, I had I couldn't get around picking the Lord of the Rings trilogy oh. movies. Um, I just couldn't get around it. They've they've been with me since they came out, and I was what eleven or so when the first mm-hmm. one came out. So uh, they've been with me through my entire uh, uh, teenage years, my emerging adulthood into my adulthood. Uh, I got into the books as well. So that whole uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's storytelling, and then as mediated through uh, Peter Jackson's films, uh, have have had really a profound effect on how I think about the world. Right. Uh, the the other movie. Uh, is one that I watched in my emerging adulthood, which was Big Fish, which was released in 2003, but I didn't see it till much later. Uh, so that's a it's a brilliant movie directed by um, um, Tim Burton, right? Tim Burton, yes, Tim yeah. Burton. So it's like fantastical imagery, and he's Tim Burton was the perfect director to direct a story like this, right? Then the third is Captain Fantastic, which is a 2016 film. Uh, which uh, me and my wife recently watched on Netflix for a movie night. And I was one of those movies where it ends and you're sitting quietly for a couple of minutes. I know the ones I had take, that last night. In. We watched sound of metal last night and I don't think I, it's all about going deaf, which is ironic because like, didn't, we didn't talk for about an hour afterwards. <laughs> mm. Really? Was it good? Oh, phenomenal. You need to see it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not going to talk about that here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so maybe my okay. Shall we talk about silence first? Ooh. If so you, if you wish, I, I I do because it's the it's the kind of movie that I know I need to watch. Mm-hmm. Right, I know I need to watch, and I know I'm going to enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I know it's going to be hard work to to watch it and then to process it after. But I also know it's it. It's going to be worthwhile as well to do so, but I haven't like I haven't watched it yet because I know that I will need to give it kind of that time and attention. 
So do I have the right impression of that movie and its effect? Yeah, I took my dad to see Silence when it came out, which I'm trying to think of when it came out, 2017, I want to say. Could be wrong. Something like that. Back check. 2016. It was in, I was still living in Winnipeg and I moved from Winnipeg in 2017. Yeah, I, I think I went to see it four or five times in theaters. And then I saw it another two or three times after Kim, I was infatuated with this film and I took yeah, my dad yeah. to see it because I really wanted to shake him up. I wanted to get a yeah. response out of him because he's an, you know, evangelical preacher. Yeah. So can we give a, a quick, uh, not a spoiler thing, but a quick rundown of like the kind of movie that it is and like who directed and yeah. Yeah. So silence is directed by Martin Scorsese. who was more known for doing like gangster type films, like Goodfellas, casino, uh, the Irishman is a new one. He did, uh, it's based off of a novel by uh, Shusaku Endo. And the novel takes place, it's a, it's a 1966 novel, but the book takes place in the 17th century as Jesuit missionaries are going to Japan to preach uh, the gospel following the uh, missionary movements of Francis Xavier. And they're, they're going into this country, which is, uh, which is currently... Uh, at the time was persecuting Christians for their belief in, in, in Jesus. And um, so the, the story takes place with these two uh, monks, Franciscan monks, Rodriguez and, uh, oh man, I can't remember the other guy's name. He plays Adam, Adam Driver and uh, Andrew Garfield. <laughs> he called them yeah, other right. actor names. Rodriguez yeah. is the main character and he's mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield. Mm-hmm. And they're going to find their master mentor, uh, who is played by Liam Neeson. And he's gone out there already to sort of pave the path for them. And they haven't heard from him for a long time, so they're going to find him. Um, and so they go into Japan, and what they find is that there's these Christians that are hiding, and they're they're hiding underground, and they're hiding in caves. And um, it's, this, it's this one priest, Rodriguez, his own internal struggle with how with the question of what is this for because he continually is preaching the gospel and bringing people into this belief of christianity while he's seeing those very people get crucified um as the tides swallow them and drown them at the same time like really grotesque ways of dying um with uh and so he, he has to sort of i guess uh work through that tension of uh is this really what god wants while seeing people just get killed right after confessing a belief in a religion um and he's forced throughout the film to confront that reality of suffering and evil and violence at the same time as is my religion causing this is it me that's doing this or is it the evil japanese buddhist uh tyranny that's doing it Mm -hmm. um and so throughout the movie he goes village to village to village um, by the way, are we allowed to spoil scenes in this podcast? Is there spoiler alerts? Um, I think for the purposes of this podcast, yes, we can spoil uh, spoil scenes, but maybe just not over the top spoil. But the movie's been out. All the movies, this is the newest movie, I believe, on the list. I think First Reform came out after. Okay. okay. I think that was 2017. Okay, but we're still talking three three years. Yeah, oh yeah. So that's warning enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, how do you want to? How do you want to talk about silence? Do you, do you have? Um... Yeah, I had a I, I I had a question about it, which is often the movies that that actually hit us uh, strongly 
hit us strongly because of the place we are in our life at that time, right? So I know that you went through kind of a process of deconstruction, as in listen to the last episode with Brayden to get <laughs> yeah. the whole story. Yeah. Uh, but where did that slot in? Like, wh- why did it hit you that way at that time? Yeah, it's funny because I I went to see it so many times, but everybody I talked to who went to see it said, that's enough for me. I'm not seeing this movie again. It's way too dark. Um, right. And I'm also notorious in the household. With I live with my brother and my wife and my child and um, Cass and Caleb, my brother and uh, my my wife, and my brother. They always say that I like macabre, very dark, very like mm-hmm. psychological and violent films. And it's true. I would rather watch that over a sitcom any day. But mm-hmm. um, the what the reason I really liked Silence is because I was I was probably midway through my or almost finished my undergraduate degree at the time in theology and philosophy and thinking through a lot of the missionary work I was doing growing up. I mean, we did, we, we weren't doing nearly what these guys in this movie are doing, but um, we had this sort of certainty, this assurance that what we were doing was God's will was God's plan. And um, that there was this uh, like the organization of missionary work is is always 100% pure and there's no sort of dark side to it. And silence completely flips on on its head. And you see there, there is one scene in particular, if I could talk about a scene that I really, that really struck home for me is when Rodriguez finally sees his master again. And he finds out that his master has been living with the Buddhists uh, in Japan and has been uh, sort of persuaded to live a life that's peaceful there. Um, and he, there's this, there's this confrontation that happens where Rodriguez is, is so shaken up by the fact that his master has left the faith and not only left the faith, but what, what the Japanese would do is that they would make you stomp on a icon of Christ. And so in order to get you to apostatize, that's what they called it. Uh, they would put a, a plaque that with a, with an image of Christ on it. And they would say, step, step on the on the image step on your jesus and so then the uh, converts would have to step and apostatize if they were wanting to save their lives um and so what rodriguez finds out is that his master has done this and um they enter into this conversation about language and about uh about what it means to really convert somebody to your religion and his master says, well, you, you think you're talking about the son of God. But when Xavier came here, he said, look at the son. And he pointed to the son as a way of communicating a similar uh, 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 concept. Uh, but it was very different son, S-O-N, to son, S-U-N. And they, he's like, they don't understand what we're talking about. They have a distortion of belief. They don't have the pure belief. And so then it becomes a conversation of what's enough in order for them to really convert is, is it enough for them to believe that God is just a sun in the sky because they come from a pantheistic background where creation and they don't have a concept of transcendence like Christians might. Um, and this is what they're talking about in the, in the, in the scene. And there's this idea of a purity of belief that comes into play. And Rodriguez is so taken aback by this. And it takes him a long time to sort of process it as he's in prison by the, by the Japanese. 
So that's one scene I really liked from the movie because it brought in a level of nuance to the conversation of mission work, but also to, to, uh, to belief in general. What, what we believe, maybe me and you have this exact same, we think we have the exact same beliefs about something. But then when it comes down to semantics, which we say, oh, that's just semantics. But really, it's, it really is semantics. And semantics mean they, they correspond to realities. And so perhaps there is something that is just different that all Christians seem to be thinking that they mean by, by God, but they don't mean the same thing, you know. So that was one scene that really gripped me about silence. There's many, yeah. but that was one in yeah. particular. Did you ever have you like after watching the movie and talking about it and stuff? Did you ever get into conflict with anybody else about like the meaning of the movie or like the effect it should have? Oh sure, sure. Yeah, there was. A, I remember going to see it with a couple of friends, and they were they were all pretty gung ho about this idea that the movie was actually um, promoting mission work. <laughs> <laughs> that they were doing good work out there. Whereas I left the theater thinking, wow. I mean, at the end of that scene, the master says to Rodriguez, Rodriguez says, no, they were saying Deus, Deus. They're dying and they're, they're, they're crying out the name of God. And he's like, well, if they're in, in, and the master says, no, they, they weren't dying for God. They were dying for you. And you start to see that really a lot of this work that Rodriguez is doing it's all about himself. It's all about his ego. It's all about feeling like he's saving people. Mm. And when he when he feels when he starts to realize maybe this is not about God, maybe this is about me. It's a horrific revelation for him. Um, mm. And so that was how I interpreted it. Although there is another character in the film named Katijaro, who is constantly stepping and reconverting. So he steps mm. and he betrays other Christians who are then martyred. Um, and then he, and then he, it's a cycle with him and he goes back yeah, to Rodriguez yeah. and he's like, Rodriguez, please, please, please Rodriguez. And then Rodriguez, uh, does the, the symbol of the cross over him, forgives him of his sins. And every time, every time he does that symbol of the cross, he hates him more and he starts to resent him more and more. And so mm-hmm. I was, um, talking with some friends about this and I really think that Kachichiro is us. And that when we watch the movie, we should be thinking about Kachichiro as us constantly stepping on our own loyalties, on our own beliefs, and needing that grace to uh, continue on the journey. Wow, yeah. Well, maybe I got to watch the movie now. You do? Oh, man. It's it's honestly, it's one of my favorite yeah. films. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my friend, um, when we were back in Winnipeg, we had a friend named Peter, and he when it came out, he's, he's similar, saw it a bunch of times and would just every Sunday at church, you have to go see this movie. You have to go see this movie. for silence at church. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Any final thoughts for you on, on silence? Um, well, going back to what's it, what's it's like, I guess, lasting legacy in your life. Yeah. I, I probably will watch it, you know, annually. I, uh, there's a few movies I watch annually, including Interstellar and Oh, Interstellar! How did none of us pick Interstellar? I know <laughs> it was hard for me not to because it yeah. it's been my favorite movie consistently for years. But I think in terms of uh, philo- thinking philosophically and, and people like to hate on Interstellar. Yeah, it's popular. Like it's popular to hate on it. It's well, it's both. Like it, I feel like it's a very divisive film. People either yeah. feel like it's um uh like it's it's the best movie of all time or it's 
trying to be deep, but it's actually you know really shallow. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I was going to go back to this experience I had with my my dad in that theater, which which stuck with me a little bit. And I remember uh, this never happens with him, but we sat for probably about thirty minutes as people cleaned up the theater and cleaning up the popcorn, and um, and he said, "I don't I don't want to leave." until I've got some closure on this film. Um, he didn't want to leave the theater without even having some sort of resolve uh, in terms of what happened. He's not the kind of person that sits down with these kind of dark, really dark kind of thoughts very often. And he's a person who does missionary work. So I think it was a discouraging and maybe, maybe traumatic experience for him. And so we, we sat and talked about it. And I said, well, what, what was it about the movie that made you feel so uncomfortable? What made you feel so, um, wh- why, why do you feel like you can't, you know, get up and leave the theater and continue on your day? What made you pause like this? And he goes, I just, I never thought that this is, he said, Braden, this is not the, the view I have of what I do. This is a very different view. This is a very different perspective that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what cinema should do. I have a good friend that I work with who calls cinema empathy machines. And so I think cinema should just blow open a new world for us in which we can have empathy for somebody we have never stepped in their shoes before. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually that the TV show Black Mirror does that really well with certain episodes. You know what? Um, I think I think the reason we don't have as many trilogies is because we have many series. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's a, that just came back. I think return to the trilogy thing. I'm like, why do we have trilogies anymore? I miss them. We have so many miniseries now and Netflix and stuff. Well, shall we go to uh, my first movie here? Let's do it. I I want to talk about Big Fish actually first. Big Fish instead of instead of going to Lord of the Rings. I haven't seen Big Fish, so you'll have to tell me a bit about the plot. Right. Okay. So so I'll I'll give you Big Fish. Uh, Big Fish is a movie, but it's based on a book. Yeah. So, so the book is called Big Fish, a novel of mythic proportions. And uh, the movie is just called Big Fish without a subtitle. And I'm going to talk about the movie here in particular. Uh, so, if, uh, but I might reference the book. You've read the book as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might reference the book here, here or there. But we'll talk about the movie in particular. So the movie, uh, Big Fish, is about a, a, an estranged son. With his, uh, he's estranged from his father. So the movie begins, it's at the son's wedding day. The father kind of steals the show a little bit with like telling stories in his speech and stuff like that. And the son kind of gets angry. He ends up moving to Paris with his now wife and they're living in Paris away from his his parents who live in Alabama. Uh, and the uh, the inciting incident of the film is that the father is now on his deathbed. Like within a couple of weeks He's probably going to die. And so the, the son and his wife, the, his now pregnant wife, they um, fly back to Alabama. And he kind of, it's about reconnecting with his, with his dad who's dying. And the, so the, the movie cuts back and forth between the present day where it is the father and the son having conversations. And it, the father will tell stories of his past but he tells them in the style of like American Gothic tall tales. 
and then it cuts back in time to show his life story in that style. Wow. Right? And the son is very frustrated because he just wants to know the, the real story of who his dad is. And his dad is adamant that these stories in this sort of tall, mythical style are the real stories. This is who I am. Right? And the son keeps on digging to say, no, what really happened, though? What really happened? And the father is adamant that, you know, that it's the stories are the real thing. Right? So... So for me, one of the one of the tensions, obviously, in, in thinking about let, let's say scripture, is is that idea of the what is the relationship between truth and fact, and can something be truthful without being factual, so to speak? Um, I actually have a quote here from from Big Fish. So this is the sun, and this is his. He's uh, he he'll do third person narrations at the beginning and the end just to bring the audience in. So the, the quote here is, uh, uh, in telling the story of my father's life, it's impossible to separate fact from fiction, the man from the myth. The best I can do is to tell it the way he told me. It doesn't always make sense, and most of it never happened, but that's what kind of story this is. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, so it, it, I watched this movie when I was actually in undergrad in my religion and culture program, learning about, you know... Um, historicity of the scriptures and how they came to be and um the redactors and you know all all this all this stuff yeah so the the idea of a narrative having truth embedded in it beyond the historical facts that it's recounting was kind of i think a pivotal transition point in my own journey that's really cool oh yeah it's a great book I mean, mm. great movie, mm. great movie and book. So was it assigned for a class or did you just read it while you were in the class? I, uh, no, it wasn't assigned for a class. It actually, it was assigned. So one of the professors that I really liked, he taught a separate course that he assigned that book in that separate course, but mm. I never took that course, ah. but I read it anyways. Cause I knew that this, this professor I liked, he, t- he used this book in another course. Oh. So I just like read the book anyways. <laughs> Um, it's very short, very easy to read, but it's, it, the, if you watch it now with a, if you watch it now with, I guess, a very sort of modernist, rationalistic, scientific proof mindset, it's really frustrating. Hmm. It's really frustrating because you're like the son sitting there and the dad's like telling stories about how he had to lay in bed for like 11 years as his body was growing. Hmm. Right. Or, um, these different stories of when he first saw the woman that would be his wife, time literally stood still Mm. and he was like walking through, you know, in a circus. Mm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's these big um, mythological, he he makes friends with a literal giant, right? Yeah. And, and uh, the, um, the mythical layering is all there, but if you, but you almost want to be like, but what's the truth? And, if you ask that question, as opposed, if you ask the question of what is the truth, trying to get to something beyond the story, you are missing the, the point. Yeah. Right. What was the uh, what was the most um, important scene for you in the Big Fish that really that's, hit home for you? Yeah, that's that's a that's a big. 
Well, it's been out since 2003, so sorry everybody, but we're spoiling the movie here. Yeah, okay. But okay. but of course, the whole the whole movie, like you know that the father's eventually going to die. Okay. Right? And the son, the whole time the son is very against these stories. He wants his dad to be truthful. He thinks that it's a problem that his dad is not able to deal with his past. Right? So the the dad suddenly gets rushed to the hospital. And they're taking shifts staying with him. And it happens to be in the middle of the night because the son staying with the father. And, you know, it's, it's, ba- it's the time for his passing. But uh, the, the father looks at the son and says, um, how does it end? Right? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, tell me how this ends. Like he's saying, tell the story. Tell me the story of how I go. Right? And then the son then begins to tell the story in the same way that his father would tell stories right so he tells the story of how his father um dies and you have to i mean it's it's beautiful i can't recount it here so you have to go watch the movie but uh it it's you it shows it right i don't know it's it's a very beautiful uh it's a very beautiful scene and does the father write the stories down and then no the idea the idea in the it's more clear in the book uh, but the book is uh, written from the perspective of the son writing the, his father's stories down. And his father has told him these stories yeah. while he's dying. Well, the father, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the father would tell these stories all the time and throughout his life, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. That reminds me of sort of, like, did, they, did they see the father as this sort of lunatic throughout the film? The, um, the son does. A little bit, right? right? The son, the son gets frustrated because, especially because, the way he um, he he starts to try and investigate the claims, and he gets like he he like go meet this person that he thinks is this person in the story in real life, and right. he, he sometimes it comes to dead ends and sometimes it doesn't, right? So it's it's frustrating for him, um, but uh, he he at one point says to one of these other characters, he says, I, "Like I don't know who my father is." That's the son's frustration is that he knows his father's stories, but he doesn't know his father. Right. And and the, but the father's position, but he can't, the father can't explain it this way is to say, these stories that I've told you are part of you and they are who I am. Right. I think a lot of, a lot of young people go through that with their grandparents. My grandparents Mm -hmm. told me story after story. I survived Mm -hmm. this tornado. I, lived i walked miles and miles to go to school every day yeah and you kind of go roll your eyes oh yeah okay this is another story from grandpa or grandma Mm -hmm. um but we don't know why don't why don't you just tell me how you're feeling what you did today Mm -hmm. (laughs) like yeah and i think that is probably a a universal frustration at least in the western world with uh with that generational gap but this is a father and a son. But I, I, I just, I'm saying that I've had that experience yeah. myself of feeling that oh, this person I care about yeah. only giving me a distant, detached mm-hmm. uh, answer for how are they doing by giving me these sort of long ago stories. And the and in the movie, the it it's it's per, it's a purposeful plot point that the son's wife is currently like you know seven or eight months pregnant, mm. right? That that. The passing of this father, the passing of the father of the grandfather, is the coming of the new 
generation. And the main character is the son who is the access point between those two things and needs to decide how do I move forward? Um, How do I continue the lineage, I guess, of my father? It also reminds me of the holy fool idea, especially like in Mm. literature where there's throughout medieval history, you have the the holy fool who is this sort of prophetic figure that yeah. chucks cakes and rocks at people and just like like Kramer, like Kramer, <laughs> yeah. But they're always sort of there's always some this hidden meeting, this um, this unveiling of the truth that lies beyond the parable, like Christ the madman who said who speaks in parables, um, right? Yeah, that reminds me of that. Yeah, really absolutely. Cool. Yeah, so it's affected me a lot because basically, um, it's allowed me to have a much more nuanced perspective on, on scripture and on narrative that I think a lot of, a lot of Christians might not necessarily have gotten to this point, right? It's, it's about, you know, if there was a video camera footage at the tomb of Christ, you would have seen him like lift his head and, you know, get up and take the things off and, and go. And, and my perspective on that is I don't know what I would have seen. And, in a sense, it's it's a stupid question what you really would have seen if you were there, you know, on, on, on one hand. Yeah. Um, that there is something there. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's I, I guess it's still something I'm working through. But uh, yeah, I think that's why I really, Big Fish really, really touched me. Hmm. That's a, that sounds great. I have to watch it. I have not mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah. The- it, 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 it tries. There's a couple of moments in the, there's a couple of moments where it kind of shows you the, the real factual things that are underneath the myth. Right. So for example, the character might meet, the real person that's behind a story about that person. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and personally, and, and that, that's not in the book. And I, and, and I think that it's a little bit of a cheat. I think that it's a little bit of a cheat, but uh, it's still a good movie. Okay. Very nice. Cool. Big fish. Well, Shall we do one more uh, one more movie for you? Sure. Yeah. And then we'll uh, go to the Patreon that think that thing there. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so I'll I'll talk a little bit about um, First Reformed only because I want more time for Tree of Life, and I feel like the Patreon yeah part perfect will, yeah yeah first First Reformed. So like I I've never I never heard of First Reformed after you mentioned that that's one of the movies you were going to pick. I actually uh, read up on the Wikipedia page minus the plot because I was like oh. I might want to watch this, uh, but you're allowed to spoil things if you want. But yeah, it seems like a very interesting movie. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. I think, I think all three of my picks are movies that were critically acclaimed, but fell under the radar of the public mm-hmm. and they weren't box office movies by any means, but all three of them filmed, I mean, directed by like all star uh, directors. So it's mm-hmm. kind of funny. These are like the kind of, black sheep of all of these directors, except for Tree of Life. That was kind of Malick's um, star child. But mm-hmm. First Reformed, directed by Paul Schrader, who actually worked on Taxi Driver, 
yeah. with Scorsese. He wrote a lot of Scorsese's screenplays, including The Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, mm-hmm. and other ones. Um, so he's kind of known, like Scorsese, as this person who does doesn't do explicitly religious films, but mm-hmm. First Reformed is explicitly a religious film. It's uh, a story about a pastor in a, in a First Reformed church um, who sort of struggles with his own anxiety and depression. He, um, he finds out that he has cancer, and mm-hmm. so he drinks a lot, and he, but he still goes and, and, and preaches on Sunday mornings, but he has a dwindling congregation. Not a lot of people are showing up anymore, but he's funded by this mega church organization that almost has this like almost evangelical wing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of, of meetings that he has with this big haunch, uh, big, big kind of like uh, head director of the mega church, the head pastor, where you sort of see this, this oppos- opposing ideologies at play where Ethan Hawke plays the pastor and, mm-hmm. uh, and he sort of is quoting Thomas Merton and these different uh, Christian thinkers like Kierkegaard and throughout the movie, like he's a pretty smart person. He's pretty theologically aware. Whereas you see that this mega church guy really has no idea what's going on. And all he wants is the money and the success. And he's like, well, where's your congregation going? They're all leaving you. Like clearly something's wrong with you and your message. Um, but that's only sort of the side plot. The main plot takes off with, uh, Ethan Hawke's character, um, uh, there's a woman in the church who approaches him near the beginning of the film, and she says, my husband um, is, um, he's an activist, he's an environmental act- activist, but he's getting involved in these in this terrorist activity. And I'm starting to see that he's been reading up online about suspicious things, and I'm, I'm, I'm fully for the cause, but I'm a little bit nervous about him. And so you have this scene where Ethan Hawke goes to their house and she's pregnant too. So she's concerned about the future baby and everything. And um, he sits down with this person who's struggling with his own eco crisis uh, yeah. about, about the world. And this, and this, he's a young guy and he's like, do you know that the world's going to be destroyed? We're, we are, our next generation is not going to see the same world that we're seeing now pollution, you know, rising uh, ocean levels. And he, he, he's listing all of these statistics and facts to this pastor. And, you know, Ethan Hawke's just sort of sitting there listening. Um, and then Ethan Hawke has this great quote. It's not Ethan Hawke, but the character he plays, mm-hmm. whose name I can't recall at the moment. But I wrote down the quote, and I love this quote. I think he gets it straight from Kierkegaard, uh, although he doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read the quote. So the quote is, Courage is the solution to despair. Reason provides no answers. I can't know the f- what the future will bring. We have to choose courage despite uncertainty. Wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our mind simultaneously, hope and despair. And so that's the sort of, that's one of the first scenes in the movie. That kind of is the thesis statement of the film. Holding mm-hmm. together these two things, courage and despair, hope and despair, um, as a means of uh, as a means of finding purpose and meaning and getting your, yourself through life without number one being 
a naive, naive optimist, mm-hmm. like his boss, the megachurch pa- pastor, often is in the film, but also not like getting lost in despair. And I will say, pause the podcast if you really don't want to hear a spoiler, because um, this is what happens to his interlocutor. And a, couple, and a couple scenes after this, he's supposed to meet him in the park for in the forest. And this is a big twist. And he finds him there. He has shot himself in the head. He's dead. And mm-hmm. killed himself because of his own, because of his own um, despair over the state of the world, bringing a child into this world, um, and so the rest of the movie is Ethan Hawke then struggling to come to terms with this loss and this de- and this despair, and trying to find this balance between courage and despair, um, and it's phenomenal. The directing is so good. There are scenes that. Uh, you're not going to expect, and there are just like big fish, there's scenes. I mean, they're very different films, but Mm -hmm. same vein in that, uh, by the end of the film, you start to see that maybe not everything is so literal in this, you know, maybe when they started floating and hovering off the ground and then flying through space, that was a very metaphorical scene. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so like, uh, there are, there are some really fun directorial moves that Paul Schrader makes. Um, and, I liked it. It reminded me a lot of one of my favorite philosophers, theologians named Paul Tillich, who has a book called The Courage to Be, where Mm -hmm. he talks about um, uh, about how the cure to anxiety, cure in quotes, you know, is to is to have that courage to just continue to exist in the midst of meaninglessness, in the midst of guilt, uh, anxiety about guilt or anxiety about um, like uh, about shame um, and about despair. And so having that courage to just simply be in the world, that is a courageous move to, to wake up in the morning and, and to go through your day. That's courageous. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah. So uh, that's what I really like. It's a very existential film. It's very, yeah. very dark, very gloomy. A lot of the shots are like kind of uh, um, like moonlight, coming through the window while he's drinking wine and considering like poisoning himself over while he's writing in his memoir. Like he's writing, he's taking a journal to write Mm -hmm. whatever thoughts he has. And he's and they're all prayers to God. And so he'll say things like, like, God, are you really there? Are you really listening? Am I talking to anybody? And so he's struggling through this, um, not only just despair and courage, but the existence of God and big concepts like that throughout the film. Yeah. So, like, what what aspects of yourself do you see in that character? Well, I don't see much of. I, I see some of myself in the character, but I think I was drawn to the character because I I think I sometimes have this fetishization of uh, of like older males that are spiritual leaders uh, that are really um, intellectual but still like poetic and. Um, kind of somber and have this aura of mystery around them. I'm very, I'm drawn to older males that have this kind of aura of mystery and and Mm. the ability to teach while also kind of having their own moody, you know, shadow self to them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You're you're talking like, go ahead. I I, I was just going to say, I've had a lot of experience with these kinds of individuals so but but what i find is that i I simultaneously love them and hate them depending (laughs) on their uh depending on how they see me so Mm -hmm. to to psycho 
analyze myself, I guess I have a lot of rejection issues. If somebody doesn't see me the way that I see them with this aura of, you know, mystery and, and uh, theological wonder, then I'll kind of, ah, you know, you weren't that great. You know, you weren't that, that smart, but, but in a film setting, there's no chance of that. So I'm just like, Oh yeah. Ethan Hawke as a priest. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. See in the olden days, like if you were even in certain places still, not so much in North America, but you, you would have, and not only in Christian countries and all, all over the world, you would have the monasteries right out outside of town on the border. And there would be that famous elder. Yeah. Right. And, and you could go and ask for a word. Right. Um, you could go visit. That still happens in Greece. It still happens in India. Right. It, all over the world. This, this kind of thing still happens. But you're in Winnipeg right now. Where do you go to find an elder? You go to Ethan Hawke. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's true what you're saying, because you have like, you know, Ram Das is a big teacher right now. People kind of take these big retreats. I don't know. I think he just died recently, but maybe maybe that's not true. <laughs> but people were. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> just got the phone call. Um, yeah, he, well, he's one of those uh, or like you have Eckhart Tolle or these kind of guru new agey teachers or yeah, uh, and then big, big time pastors, right? Like uh, in the evangelical world, like Michael Todd, I think is a big guy right now. He's releasing these rap videos with his sermons and he's all sexy and cool, right? Um, but like it looks different for everybody. But every, I think there's that craving for this, especially for young men. I think there's a craving for an older male to have you under his wing and yeah. Be the ways. Well, that's the whole like. I think that's one of the reasons why Jordan Peterson blew up so much. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Everything you're just talking about. Yeah, maybe I'm showing my bias that I might like him, which will not be stated explicitly. Well, you can say it. You can say anything on this podcast. I know, but that's one. That's one of those issues, Jordan Peterson, which um, I feel like no matter where you stand on it, you're going to get stones cast at. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like. The mere fact that we're talking about him yeah, and not no, saying anything positive or negative. After this. <laughs> no, no, it's going to explode in popularity. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to Some, love it and hate someone, it. Someone's going to cut out this audio and put it on YouTube and say, like, Father Yuri destroys <laughs> Braden Siemens on the topic of Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Anyways, if you want to hear us talk more about Jordan Peterson and your favorite public intellectuals, join us on our Patreon. Yeah. Uh, well, Brayden demolished by Yuri wisdom. <laughs> I'm going to start a, uh, a prying priest YouTube page and I'm just going to post nor <laughs> normal, normal comments that and conversations I've had with guests, but they'll all be titled in full caps. Yeah. Father Yuri demolishes ignorant <laughs> atheists. I love that idea. I would post it everywhere on my social media. <laughs> okay uh, that's about it for the public episode everybody uh, join Braden and I on the uh, uh, private podcast uh, this coming Thursday to hear us talk about Lord of the Rings uh, Tree of Life and Captain Fantastic and hear me bumbling through thinking out loud my experience of watching Captain Fantastic Captain so that's going to be a lot of fun uh, also special uh, thing we're going to talk a little bit about Interstellar too because we have to uh, have to You've just finished listening to the first half of this interview. Find out how to access the second half by visiting my website, pryingpriest.com. We'll see you next time. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of